We often think of the cross maybe as a piece of jewelry we wear, and, and it is, people wear it. But you know, it's the meaning behind that cross. It's not that cross Jesus was on, not a shiny gold cross or silver cross. There's an old wooden cross, nail holes in it, blood from our Savior. And yet we glory in that because that's our redemption. Amen. That's the hope that you need to think about every morning when you wake up. All right, let's go to Egypt. Anybody ready to go to Egypt? Going in February, let me know if you want to go. Okay. Heard a little story that fits perfectly with the message this morning. It's a story of a Sunday school teacher. She's teaching a group of six and seven-year-olds. And had done so for years and years. And her lesson was about creation and the ark. And so she decided to talk about the animals. And so all the children there were just with rapt attention. And she said, children, what is brown and lives in a tree? Kids didn't say anything. They thought, okay. What's brown with a bushy tail, lives in a tree, and eats nuts? Nobody's said a word. She said, okay, sometimes he's brown, has a bushy tail, lives in a tree, and eats nuts. What is the answer? Nobody said a word. Finally, the teacher spied little Mary. You could always count on Mary. She had the answer. So teacher said, Mary, what's the answer? She said, well, teacher, I know the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. (laughs) Sometimes we just live by defaults, don't we? Defaults. That's what we're talking about this morning, hidden defaults. Now, I looked in the dictionary on what a default was. And default is defined in the dictionary simply as a failure to act. But in the 21st century, there's another word, another meaning for that word, default. I experience it every time I sit down at my computer. See, I don't have a Wendy yet, okay? And so when I'm typing and I want to send it somewhere, it goes somewhere I don't want it to go. And many times I don't know where it goes. And so I scream out for tech help. And they tell me that it defaulted to the way it was programmed. And so I scratch my head and I I, I say, well, how do I get it to go where I want it to go? And and they try to tell me these tricks. But every, every once in a while, I'll hit a button to send it to print. And I have no idea where it goes. Sometimes I'll send it to a printer. And I think it's the one sitting on my desk. Barb from the front will come back and say, did you just type print something? And I just tell her, I think so. You see, sometimes we default and we just don't think about how we default. This morning, that's the story. You know, it's the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. And it's talking about uh, when the children of Israel had left, they, God led them in one direction 
And then in the 14th chapter, he says to Moses, I want you to turn around and come back this way. And so imagine about 2 million people just just going. It's not like a crowd of maybe 30 or 40 people and you're trying to keep up with them. They're just wandering through this place that they have not been before. And God is directing them. Now, there's a reason and a madness behind that. Because God also told Moses, look, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Excuse me. Someone asked me, what does that mean? Well, the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And that's about all I can tell you. And he hardened it to the point that as he got a report that the children of Israel were going in one direction and they turned around in another direction and now they were coming back, he figured that they were lost. And all of a sudden, his whole countenance, he and his servants, changed. They were glad to see Israel get out of town. They were glad they were gone. But all of a sudden, I think he began to realize that all of his help, everything that he used in order to make the nation one of the greatest in the world was gone. And and the scriptures say that in a conversation between Pharaoh and his servants, they made this statement. What in the world have we done? We've let the children of Israel leave. That was Pharaoh's default. Pick it up with verse 6, Sue, please. So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots. And let me hold that right there. There were probably, this was the elite of the elite. The Hyksok nation dynasty had created this little carriage that would carry soldiers into battle. Now, the way they carried them into battle early is they had servants that was pulling the chariots. Later, they smarted up and they just put horses and it was a horse drawn. They'd have a driver and they had the guy shooting the arrows and they would go into battle. These were chosen chariots. This was the finest of fine of Egypt. And all the other chariots of Egypt, so we're looking at not just 600, we're looking at, uh, what does this word say? All. We're looking at all the chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Remember that word. They were going out defiantly. I think as they walked, they got, it was like, yeah, we did this. Uh-huh. We whipped Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And they are, they're just pumped up and, and they're ready to go. But all of a sudden, a default kicks in in Israel. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, all right, get the picture. There have come back, and what is in front of them is not desert, it's the Red Sea. It's not the knee-deep Reed Sea, it's the Red Sea. A lot of water. And they turn around, and all of a sudden, the only thing they can see is hundreds of chariots 
Hundreds of men on the ground. Pharaoh's army is after them. Now remember, they were defiant. But now, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptian. Is that what they said? My Bible says for 450 years, they cried out to God, please deliver us from slavery. I imagine they prayed like you and I do. God, if you'll just do this, I'll do this. There's no telling how many bargains that these people made crying out, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. And now they get there (laughs) and, and what they're saying is, didn't we tell you, Moses? We just want to stay. We were happy here uh, as slaves. We were happy living off a little bread and a little bit of water. Is that not what we said? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. From defiant to default to fear. From praising God from a deliverance to a default And crying out and saying, didn't we tell you we wanted to stay where we were? Well, can you imagine leading that group? What would you have said? I can think of a few things I would say. I don't think I'd be a happy camper. You know, I'm 80 years old. And I've spent 40 years in the wilderness preparing for God to use me. And now God is using me. We've had 10 plagues that showed the mighty hand of God. Every God that Egypt had, God defeated, including Pharaoh himself. God defeated. And yet you're telling me you didn't want to go? But see, that wasn't Moses' response. Moses said in verse 13, And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Hold that here. So many times in our lives, maybe we come to a worship service like this. Or maybe we experience something that we've been praying for and God has answered that prayer. Or we have just been feeling real close to God. And then all of a sudden, you walk out of the door and... Something happens. What is your default? What do you default to? Is it saying that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose? Or do we go back in there and say, oh God, things are going so good. And and listen to these words. Why did you do this to me? Have you ever said those words? Let's be honest. 
It's a default. Moses said, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. I'm wondering if they did not take notes of the ten plagues. The fact that the Egyptians were plagued and they were not. The fact that God had delivered them. Not only were they poor beggars and slaves in Egypt. When they come out of Egypt, they had their pockets and suitcases full of gold and silver and bracelets and earrings. They were a fortunate people. God is just trying to say to them, look, just calm down. You're going to see the salvation, which he will work for you today. Now, listen, for the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. In the 60s, there was a song called Silence is Golden. And silence sometimes is golden. Too many times we want to give people a, a piece of our mind. And I don't know about you, but most of us don't have a half a piece to give to anybody. Sometimes we just simply need to be silent and meditate before God. You say, I can say this from experience. Because before I came to Christ... I had a hot temper. I was a reactionary. My first thought was to strike out anger. And that's the one thing God has been working on me. And it's just verses is almost like what God has said to him. Just be silent. Just be silent before me and let's see what's going to happen. Because you and I need to realize, just as Israel needed to realize at the moment, God had got them to the Red Sea. Why in the world would he forsake them there? You see, all along, he's been saying through Moses, I will get my glory. I will be glorified over Pharaoh, over the host of all of Egypt, over the gods of Egypt. I will be glorified in the eyes of the greatest nation in the world because that is what God wants to do. That's why he took 70 people and put them in Egypt and brought 2 million out because he was going to have a people who would go into a land most of them never had seen. They didn't know and it was going to be theirs and they would be the witness of the power of God <clears throat> in the midst of the idols in that land. Moses said, just be still. Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? I imagine Moses was crying out to God. Remember when when God said to Adam, what'd you do? Adam said, that woman you gave me. And so they passed the buck. Here, the people have asked Moses, wasn't there enough graves in Egypt? And so he turns around to God and he asks him, was there enough? Did you hear what they said? God said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Think about that. What's in front of them? The Red Sea. Go forward. Lift your staff. Remember the staff? Staff was used for signs for God's glory. Lift your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. 
that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Don't forget that. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get my glory over Pharaoh, all of his hosts, and his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh, the Lord, when I have gotten my glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host, remember the pillar of cloud in the day that led them, the pillar of fire at night that led them, angel of the Lord was going before them. The host of Israel moved and went behind them. Do you see what happened? Go back to that slide. The angel of God who was going before them moved behind them. You see, they were afraid because I imagine all their attention was on the water and the angel of the Lord who was leading them over went behind them and actually darkened the area so they could no longer see what they were afraid of. Oh, go ahead. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up with night without one coming near the other all night long. Picture this now. We got a little stalemate going on. You got a group of people that are spending the night with a host. That means everything Pharaoh had militarily, he was throwing at these Israelites. He was going to capture them and carry them back. They're here. The Israelites are here. And the water is there. That angel caused darkness to come between the two camps. A time of settling in the spirit. A time of remembering. A time of building up. And they were ready to go forward. Look at verse 21. Excuse me. I guess that's mine, isn't it? I'm sorry. When you read the rest of this chapter, you find out that God rose up a mighty wind. Now, don't think that because the Bible says a mighty wind, it wasn't a miracle. It was. And literally, the waves parted and stood up. And it's kind of like, have you ever been to Seawarrel and you walk through that tunnel where there's water around you and on both sides and you're, you're not getting wet? That's exactly the scene here. All of a sudden is that the water parted and the dry ground appeared. Moses took off and all the people, the two men, followed him right through that. And they never got their feet wet. They never got bad I imagine they got dust on them from going through there with such a possession. Okay, they're on the other side. Old Pharaoh looks at that and said, okay, we can do it. And so his host got in the middle of the Red Sea, okay? And all of a sudden something was happening. It began to get wet. Chariots don't run good in mud because they don't make four-wheel drive chariots. They begin to bog down. 
And as they bogged down, the horses got confused. The people got confused. They were just running and bogging and trying to get out. And all of a sudden, the water covered them. The power of Egypt was gone. History will tell us it will take about 200 years. Now, you can go to Egypt, but they don't have this story. They say they've never lost a Pharaoh. And yet we read from Scripture that a Pharaoh led them through with all of the host. The provision of God was exactly as he said it would be. I'm going to set you free. And you see, we need to understand a lesson from right there. We sometimes want God to follow our instructions. God, if you'll just do this, this way, everything is going to be fine. But you see, it's not. And there's one big reason it won't work. It's because we're not God. Now, too many times we take God off the throne and we sit down on it, but we have empty decrees because the world and all the things in it don't obey us. This world... All of God's creation obeys his voice. God said, I'm going to deliver you. He may have said, I don't know. It's not in scripture. You don't worry about how I'm going to do it. You know, if you've ever had kids and you're going to, you're going to get your boys involved in fixing the car or hammer and nailing, they got their own way. They want to do it. And so one time I let my boys build something. And when they looked at it and didn't know what it was, they came back and said, Dad, we still need that. Can you help us out? The children of Israel needed to learn that lesson. I would like to report to you that this is the last time that they ever doubted God or ever got mad at Moses. But actually, it's just the beginning. There's going to be 40 years of default. 40 years of running into things Instead of in silence going before God, instead of remembering every step, every year of slavery, everything God did to overpower the greatest nation in the world at that time, everything God did to deliver them in and on the way to their promised land, over and over they defaulted to the prior setting, which was doubt. I was reading the book of James. The book of James is an interesting book. It's a book sometimes that makes me mad because when I read it, it just gets all over me. The Lord uses it to convict me. But in that book are marks of a Christian. I can remember a famous athlete one time made this stupid statement, and afterwards several others did. They were talking to him about some trouble that he got into. And they said, don't you know you're a role model? And he replied, I ain't nobody's role model. And you know, that's the way the sports world, that's the way the actors, all the people that people seem to listen to today, that's their deal. It's like, you just do what I say, don't worry about what I do. Too many times when Christianity, we take that thing, same thing. Doesn't matter what I'm doing, you just do what I tell you to do. And you see, that's not the way it is. When I look out in this audience every week, 
I see one of the greatest contributions to the future of Tomoka Church. And you know what that is? That's you. You are models of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. In faithfulness and serving, in faithfulness and giving, in faithfulness and going, in faithfulness and sending. Our young people, I'm talking about anybody under the age of 40. Our young people, down to our, our children. You are a great example of the life of Christ. Someone has said you, you may be the only Bible that anybody reads. But the, the, the understanding that we need to get as Christians is this. Somebody is watching us. Somebody is listening to us. Somebody is learning how to react in certain situations. Now, don't, don't tell me what one person said to me. Well, they just don't need to look at me. Well, I'm sorry. Here's the thing, guys. They're not looking at you to criticize. They're looking at you for knowledge. And I don't care how many PhDs you have. The greatest PhD that is given is old age. Because not only have you studied and learned, but you have learned from life and learned the life lessons. This is how I apply the Word of God to my life, to live my life, in order to celebrate my life. So that when God calls me home, I'm ready to go. Never forget you're an asset. Never forget you model every day. The book of James talks about two things. Talks about in verse, let's look at James one twenty two. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. In the Greek, this is function to say this is not a one-time response. We are to continually prove ourselves. Who are we proving ourselves to? Ourselves. We prove to ourselves every day God's word is true. Because we may be like the children of Israel, fearful of that water. Or fearful what's behind us. But every time we take that step towards where God is leading us, strength comes. And, and we begin to know that if I take this step and he's with me, and I take that step. But the problem is sometimes we become enamored in teaching. We become enamored in preaching. And we get satisfied with knowledge. And we forget that with knowledge, effort must follow Knowledge. You know, I had a guy tell me this, this this week. How many different podcasts that they listen to and who they are. And, and I wondered in my mind when I walked off was, when does they have time to do anything? And the second thing I wondered is why I hadn't seen him on Tuesday. Maybe he's not enamored with my preaching. I, I, I don't know that. I'm not enamored with it either. But the thing is, it's important to know the Word. It's important to study the Word. But it's important to put the Word of God on feet and begin to move. 
Second thing we, he says in James one twenty six, if anyone thinks he's religious, now let me tell you about that word religious. Two words in the Greek for religious. One is an internal spiritual religion. One is an external showy religion, like the rituals we go through, the things that we do. That's the outward thing. It's the outward part that he's talking about. Think of Pharisees when you think of this. Outwardly, they were great. In fact, Jesus said, unless your righteousness inward exceeds that righteousness of outward show with the Pharisees. He compared the two in a negative way. So this is the outward trappings of religion and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. You can know all the trappings. Know the Lord's Prayer by heart. Know everything. Go everywhere. Give your money. Study the Bible. Show up at service. Go on mission trips. But if you don't bridle your tongue, everything you're doing is for show. Because God looks at it as eternal. Now listen to me. That giving is important. That going on mission trips is important. All of those things are important if they are engineered from an inner spirituality of leadership of the Spirit of God in your life. It's not I do something to be a Christian. I do something because I am a Christian. And too many people are doing it because they're a Christian or doing it to be, quote, a good person. Christian, which I think is an oxymoron. I thought oxymoron was the name of a football player for a long time. (laughs) A Christian, Christ-like, is good. So how can you be a good Christian or a bad Christian? Now, the things we do can reflect badly or they can reflect good. But what is the heart of the person? Now, how you know that is what you say. Matthew 12, 34, Jesus put it a little bluntly. Jesus simply said, the mouth speaks after that which fills the heart. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. So whatever is coming in comes out with the tongue. And if you want to understand, if you want to to mark yourself and your progress and your thing, how do you control your tongue? Sometimes prayer requests simply become gossip you want other people to know. I'll give you an example. Class, I think we ought to pray for Tom and Mary. I hear there's troubles in their marriage. Now, come on. That's something you talk to a good friend or you talk to Mary. We've got to watch out how we control our mouth. How are you feeling today? Oh, I'm just lousy. Good morning. Well, it's morning. 
I mean, think about the things that offhandedly we say. You say, well, preacher, what if it's not a good morning? If you're alive and you ate breakfast and the sun is shining, it's a pretty good day, guys. I mean, that's the truth. Listen, I got bad days. I got bad days. That I'd rather be, I'd rather be mowing my yard to get what I've got to do. But you see, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And that's just not Sunday. Okay? Now, if you want to change your outlook on life, bridle your tongue. If you want to change the, the people that are around you, instead of when they see you coming, they're running, be positive. You say, well, what if I don't have anything to be positive about? Again, feel your pulse. And if you're out of the hospital, what have you got to gripe about? Go down to Florida Hospital. Uh, anybody in there will volunteer to take your place on the outside. You may not think this is important, but it is. Because when you are putting the positive glory of God in, that's what's going to come out. But when you're speaking negative, that's what you're putting in. Lady told me, preacher, I can't help. I can't help but be negative watching the news. Y'all do like me. I got Roku. I don't have any news. Don't want any news. I, I really don't. I mean, when a hurricane's coming, I got a, app, a weather app. It'll tell me to go down by bread and toilet paper. <laughs> That's what we do in a hurricane. <laughs> Let me sum this stuff up for you, okay? Here's what the book of James says. Don't just study the Bible. Obey it. Don't dabble in external religion. Have pure speech. Don't say you're religious. Demonstrate it with sacrificial love. Don't claim to live a pure life. Uh, 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 excuse me. Don't claim to live a life. Live a pure life. That sums it up. And the whole thing happens because God said you could. I was going to read it, but I'll just send you home. Read Psalms. 139. That's your homework. I want you to read it. Because that's going to inform you that God knows everything about you. God knows every thought. God knows every intention. God knows every action. The psalmist said, if I go to the highest mountain when I get there, (laughs) you're there. If I go to the lowest part of the earth when I get there, you're there. If we realize God's not a stupid God, and the way we act sometimes, we must think he's asleep in his lazy boy. He's watching us not to catch us doing something. He's watching us to keep us on that road and out of the ditches where the evil is. This morning, if you know Christ as your Savior... What kind of life are you modeling? Number two, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, today's the day. God will change your life. You say, preacher, I'm old. That's, how, that's, that's more important. 
God saves. God wants you to have the abundant life Jesus promised. Fathers, we come to you today. We stand on your word. We thank you for your word. And I simply ask that you would call to you those, Lord, that you're calling to salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.